So we're looking at um, John 13, 1 to 5 this morning. John 13, 1 to 5. So that's on page 1020 in the uh, Bibles on the tables. It's John 13, 1 to 5. And that's 1020 here in the Bibles you've got in front of you. Before we look at the passage, um, I just want to kind of give a brief outline of what we're going to think about in the next 20 minutes. I'm going to start with a couple of lines from Shelley, the poet, just to kick us off. We'll see why later on. Then, as we look through the passage, we'll notice there's one small word in this passage that kind of, for me, starts to make this passage quite frightening, in a way, um, quite disturbing, in a way. We'll also see how John uses a kind of Steven Spielberg-type approach to really focus our minds on certain aspects of this piece of scripture. Then I want to have some wild speculation um, (laughs) using cognitive behavioural theory um, regarding what might have been going on, and then finally to get on to what does it mean for us today, both individually but also together. So that's the kind of framework we're going to be looking at in the next 20 minutes or so. So the poetry from Shelley, you you may know this, my name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Just hold on to that. So let's come to these verses, um, John 13, 1-5. So the context is these are the last few hours of Jesus' life. We've had Palm Sunday occur some days before where Jesus has come into Jerusalem, and there's this feeling of kingship, the triumphant king, Jesus the triumphant king. And we see that this is just a few days before Passover, or Passover's on the way, where everybody in Jerusalem is celebrating God as saviour. God, when he... um, when, he, when the angel of death was, was passing over the Israelites in Egypt who had uh, blood on their door lintels, that was the Passover, it's God as saviour. So there's a feeling here of kingship, of power, of saving. And it's the last few hours that Jesus is having with his disciples. So really, really, really important time for Jesus. The last few Um, times that he's going to spend with the disciples and these are the people that are going to be his hands and his eyes and his action in the world when he physically departs. A really, really important time. So we come to the verses here. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and he had come from God and was returning to God. So, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, what we have here in verse 3 is something 
quite astounding. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and had returned to God. Jesus, at this point, has a profound and deep sense of who he is in terms of the Godhead. And when we just heard that little quote of Ozymandias, that is absolutely nothing. That's absolutely nothing to what Jesus realised in a profound way at this moment, that he was God and he was returning to God. And so he, there was a sense in which that kind of quote from Ozymandias is like a million miles away from actually what, God, what Jesus knew was happening for him at that moment. We can, if we turn to Colossians uh, 1.17 in your Bibles, you'll, you'll get a sense of what Jesus was profoundly experiencing at this time. So 1.117, Colossians 1.15-7. Talking about Jesus, 15-17, sorry. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and him all things hold together. This is the profound sense that Jesus had. That he is Yahweh, returning to Yahweh. Absolutely unimaginable. Um, powerful feeling of who he was. And this is where it starts to get frightening as far as I can see. Because in verse 4, John uses this tiny word, so. So. He doesn't say, oh, by the way, also. In addition to Jesus having this profound sense of being Yahweh, returning to Yahweh, he says, so. Therefore, Therefore, in the light of Jesus' profound sense of being Yahweh, returning to Yahweh, this thing's happened. And what he does, this is where he gets Spielberg-esque. If you can imagine um, this, this is a, a film rather than a narrative, this is, this is Spielberg now. He slows everything down into slow motion. And, and it doesn't happen very often. I, I, I don't, can't remember many other places in the Bible where this happens. So, verse 4. So, he got up from the mill. Pause. Took off his outer clothing. Pause. And wrapped a towel around his waist. Pause. After that, he poured water into a basin. Pause. And began to wash his disciples' feet. Drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He wants us to really focus in, slow motion, zoom lens, got the big picture, this is slow mo. This is really, really important. These are the last few hours with his disciples. And what does he do? What does he do? He performs a smelly, dirty, menial, common garden easy to do, humiliating, kind of insignificant, act of micro-kindness. Just an act of micro-kindness. In the light of all this, so, an act of micro-kindness. Not his responsibility, washing people's feet. It's what the slave does, it's what the servant does. It's horrible. Covering dirt, sandwich, you know. 
That's what he does. That's what Jesus does. In the light of, I am Yahweh, returning to Yahweh. This is the most important time with his disciples. This is what he does. He doesn't give a Churchillian speech. He doesn't perform an incredible miracle. He doesn't do a fantastic healing. He doesn't give a new teaching. He does a small act of micro-kindness. That is how important that was. And I just want to kind of just maybe emphasise this even a little bit more by thinking about something called cognitive behaviour theory. Some of you will know about this. Um, so Paddy's just going to put up a, a slide. So cognitive behavioural theory, clinical psychology, is a very, very simple but very powerful idea. Um, we use it, use it a lot. Very easy to understand. It's quite difficult to apply. But it's, it's very useful. This is the cognitive behavioural crossbar. And so what it basically says is that any point in our existence, any state that we're in, we'll have four things. We'll have some thoughts, we'll have some feelings, we'll have behaviour or action, and we'll have some physical sensations in our body. And what cognitive behavioural theory says, and is profoundly helpful, is that actually all of these things interplay with each other in every single direction. So we know if we're feeling sad, we're probably going to have some sad thoughts. But actually what cognitive behaviour says, if you have some thoughts that are sad, you'll end up feeling sad. If we're feeling sad, we might avoid doing things because we just don't have the energy to do them. That's quite commonsensical. What cognitive behaviour says, if you stop doing things that give you pleasure and satisfaction, then you'll end up feeling more depressed. And so on and so on and so on. So there's an interlinkage between all these things and this given state that we're in. And we'll get to the next slide. So this is just a, you know, this would be a very typical kind of way in which you might think about somebody who's had a panic attack. Maybe they've come into church. And down at the bottom, they're just sitting there in church, minding their own business, but for whatever reason, they're noticing some physical symptoms. Probably some adrenaline, there's too much adrenaline in their body, for whatever reason. I've been just a bit of overstressed. But they notice the heart starting to pan. They notice the starting to feel dizzy. This is what adrenaline does to us. We have too much of it. They start to feel faint. Then they can't feel their legs. They're then breathing quite in a shallow way. And then they've got some pains. In their, uh, in their chest area. Well, clearly, naturally, somebody may well think at that point, sitting there in the church, I'm having a heart attack, I'm going to die. Which clearly is going to make us feel terrified. Which is going to make the symptoms worse, have more thoughts, and probably will end up just getting out of this situation, getting out of the church, probably having a little bit of a relief, maybe trying to get their breathing under control. Um, but what we'll then be thinking next time church comes around, maybe I'll avoid church because that's the only way of stopping the panic attack happening. So that's a very typical kind of way in which you might think about panic. Well, this is what I want to do. I just want a wild speculation. This wild speculation, I'm applying this now to what's happening in this second verse. It's Passover feast. Jesus has these thoughts. Clearly, we're told, I am Yahweh, I am returning to Yahweh. Probably had some thoughts possibly around these and my last few hours with my disciples really important. My speculation is kind of how he felt, felt at that point. I would speculate that he had a sense of power, confidence, control, whatever it is to feel kind of that divinity. And then the behaviour. The behaviour is Dirty Monday, tiny, <laughs> insignificant act of mark of kindness. 
And the terrifying thing is, is that's what we're called to be. That's what we are called to be. It's terrifying. Um, it's ridiculous in many ways. But this is what we're called to be. It would be nice for me, personally, if, if this little diagram here was had these thoughts, these feelings, and the behaviour was that he told us to study more in the Bible, work out more about what Jesus is about. I would love that. Maybe, um, maybe to sing more because we connect with God in a, in a more emotional way, have more profound and deeper experiences of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. All of these things are really, really important. And in a way, personally, that would be fantastic if the behaviour was that. But it's not. It's to consistently and have a life characterised by making choices that help us do micro-kindnesses. And that will probably mean giving up money, time, convenience, changing our routines occasionally, the things we haven't planned for, biting our tongue, not engaging in negative banter at times. You know, all of these things, that's how life is characterised by those things. That's a big, big ask. That's a big, big ask. So I'm going to tell a lie now, um, just so you're aware. But last week, um, I don't know if you uh, were here, but it was very busy last week, and you probably didn't notice. Um, but right at the back, somebody came in. Um, just as the last time, it was probably in his late 20s, maybe early 30s guy, five foot eight, sat at the back. Um, had this kind of... I don't know, if you, if you saw him, he had this kind of charisma about him. There was something about him that was kind of a bit different, kind of, there was a presence about him. Anyway, sitting in the back, uh, and I think afterwards he was helping just clear up some of the chairs, because um, uh, he was short-handed on that. Um, and Paddy got to talk to him, and um, as Paddy was talking to him, it became clear to Paddy that this was Jesus. Jesus was sitting in the back, and now just talking to Paddy. Jesus was here, talking to Paddy. And of course, Paddy... Panicked. <laughs> and he starts, started a babble, you know, and, you know, just asking question after question after question. Of course, why wouldn't you? Going, this is Jesus, you know. What, what, what should we do in the church? Is this right? I mean, is this the right way of approaching things? It's just he had a hundred and one questions that he was asking Jesus, and Jesus was standing there, and, and you know, you could feel the love of Jesus, and you could feel the presence of Jesus, you could feel this kind of deep charisma of Jesus, and before Jesus even had a chance. To reply to Paddy, there was a commotion by the toilets, just the back there where they were standing. And there was this horrible smell coming from the toilets. And there were kids crying because they couldn't get into the toilet because the toilet had got blocked. Hot, I mean, and I don't know if um, I won't go into all the details, but it's horrible. Absolutely horrible. The toilet is blocked, water's overflowing, and, and Paddy now is going, oh no, I'm just talking to Jesus. Um, and, and, and somebody bring the caretaker. Somebody bring the caretaker. We get, we get this sorted. It's disgusting. It's smelly now. Jesus, move away. And Jesus, and this is the Paddy, Paddy's Gospel, chapter 13. <laughs> Jesus takes off his jacket, lays it down on the table. He picks up a marigold glove, puts it on his left hand, the marigold glove, puts it on his right hand. Finds a toilet brush. Half of his nose, we can't smell. 
A opens up the toilet door and walks in, dot, 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 dot. And when I even be saying that, I feel uncomfortable. It feels disrespectful. But that is probably, again, a million miles away from what these disciples were feeling when Jesus did this. It's just, you, Jesus doing that, disgusting. Not your job. It's horrible. It's more important than that. That's what we're called to be like. And for me, these verses with that little so word, it becomes one of these verses that are, there are a number, aren't there, in the Bible that kind of will probably make us feel uncomfortable. Be perfect. Sin no more. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, and strength. Saying to the rich man, go and sell everything and follow me. And we always kind of think, oh, well, I'm not that rich, so it doesn't matter to me, that's all right. But these are, these are deeply disturbing um, things in the Bible. But we know that they're true. We know that they're, that's what we're called to do. Galatians 5, 22, 23. And you can turn to it if you want. It's 1107. Um, but we know that this is what we're supposed to be characterised by. These are, the, these are the fruits of the Spirit. We are supposed to be characterised. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And why is that so important? Well, there's many reasons why it's important, but um, I always have to always have to quote C.S. Lewis, um, and this is from Mere Christianity, and I think it's one of the reasons why this is so important. Um, so this is from Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis. Every time you make a choice, you are turning the part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different than it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all life long, you're slowly turning this central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. Either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with his fellow creatures and with itself, or less so. Each of us, each moment, is progressing to the one state or the other. Now that's not saying that we are saved by our works. What it does mean is actually our individual choices, our micro-choices, our micro-kindnesses actually do something to us and either make us a little bit closer to who we're supposed to be or maybe a little bit further away. And that's really, really important. And this would be uh, a terrifying and disturbing passage but for the fact that we have the Holy Spirit. And if we're Christians today, we have the Holy Spirit that helps us to do two key things in this calling. One, he gives us discernment. The more we allow the Holy Spirit to be analysed, the more we open ourselves up to the things of God, he gives us discernment about those micro-kindnesses that maybe we should be thinking about. For some of us, there'll be absolutely mundane, day-to-day, -day, the caring responsibilities we have, the responses we have to, to do things for other people. They'll be obvious and clear, and there are responsibilities, and that may be the vast majority um, in terms of what God at the moment wants us to be doing. But he'll give us discernment about those, those micro-kindnesses that are for us. But more than that, he'll give us the power to do that. He'll give us the love to do that. Otherwise, you'll end up like I am when I do these things in my own strength. I get irritated. I feel put upon. Um, sometimes I feel smug because I've done a micro-kindness and that's what we're supposed to do. Um, for others, we may find that we start to feel guilty and burnt out because we're just doing, in a way, too much of the things that 
maybe God is not directing us to do. And we need the Holy Spirit to serve on that because the devil is an accuser. He loves to accuse us um, of not being good enough. He loves to accuse us um, and make us feel guilty when we shouldn't be because we have God's love. In a way, I think it's a bit like Strictly Come Dancing. God wants to lead us in a dance and he'll show us the way if we let him. He's taking the lead. But we can't just be dragged along like a rag doll. You know, you're not going to be strictly come dancing like that. You know, he wants us to be dancing with him. And that's an act of the will a lot of the time. An act of the will. And we need the Holy Spirit for that because that is hard. And that's what we're called to individually. We're called to individually to be like this. To be characterised by this. And we're called as a church to be characterised by that. We are God's hands, feet, eyes on earth. That's ridiculous. But for the Holy Spirit. But for the Holy Spirit. And the more we allow this to happen in our lives, the more authentic we'll be as the people we're supposed to be. We'll be more authentic people. As human beings, we'll be more solid, real, concrete, because that is what we're supposed to be. That is what real authenticity is all about. And that's why I want to just use a little bit of Renaissance art um, just to illustrate this, so this is Raphael's transfiguration. You've got Jesus at the top descending into heaven, and you've got people below Jesus. And some of them, you can see, have got really lovely, vivid colours in their in their tunes. You see beautiful, beautiful greens and um, shimmering blues and, and deep reds because they're in the light of Jesus. But you'll also see other people who are less defined. People who are less concrete, less real in that picture. You see the people in the shadows, the people who only have a little bit of light on them. You can't really see the beautiful colours that they've got. You can't see the expressions of their faces. And so in a way, part of what I think the beauty of um, this painting is about is just showing us that the more we allow God's light and life to be part of us and in us and through us, the more vivid we are the more human we are, the more bright we are. And that's a fantastic thing. So I just want two things just as we, as we finish thinking about this, 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 this passage. If, if you're here today and actually you, you've just been dragged along or have somehow convinced you to come along, you don't really need much of this stuff. Um, but it's kind of interesting and it's kind of interesting to see some of the wacky stuff that goes on here at times and things. Um, if you're just kind of searching or thinking today, I, I, I just want you just to I just want to imagine, just forget about Jesus, the divinity of Jesus, all of that. Just imagine that this picture that we have of Jesus is actually the best description we have of what power behind the universe is. Let's let's, for the sake of argument, say something somehow, 13.5 billion years ago, initiated the universe. And something sustains the universe. There is there's something or some force or some power or something. Well, let's just imagine that actually the best way of describing the nature of that, that power, that force, that something, is actually this picture that we have in these, these few verses. What if, what if the best way of describing that something else, that power, that force, is something like this. And what if, actually, the more you think about that, 
it just kind of makes you think, well, actually, that describing that force, that power, what it must have been like and what it is, it almost seems to have a bit of a personality. Actually, it's better described as a personality than a force or a power. And what if, what if, what if some of these stories are actually, actually what it's about? Keep on exploring, keep on arguing, keep on thinking, keep on talking. And if we are Christians here this morning, I just want to end with uh, Paul's 30-second sermon. Um, I, I'd like to think it's precisely on this incident. Probably isn't, but I'd like to think it is. So this is Paul's 30-second sermon. I'd like to think on John 13, but probably not. So Philippians 2, 3 to 8, this is where I just want to leave us with this. Well, it's not even 30 seconds, it's probably a 20-second sermon. Um, 1114 in the Bibles in front of you. 1114, Philippians 2, 3 to 8. Famous set of verses. Philippians 2, 3 to 8. And I can find it. So this is this is what I'd like to think. Paul thinking about this precise thing that happened just before Passover. Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look out not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being very natured God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, Taking the very nature of a servant, interesting, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So on this Pentecost Sunday, let's keep praying for the Holy Spirit to give us discernment and power and the love of God so this can be more and more the characteristics that we have.